in 1 Peter chapter 3, hoping we'll all be able to memorize this verse by the time we're done with this. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. As we consider again this month a verse that challenges us as God's people to always be ready to give good Bible answers when people ask us why we believe the things that we believe and why we do the things that we do, I would like to begin this particular lesson by telling you about something that used to happen to me all the time as a preacher of the gospel. Now, thanks to my friend Brian who intercepts many of the calls that come to the building during the week and also thanks to this big gate we got outside here it doesn't happen to me as much now but it did used to happen to me a lot when I was doing local work in, Le in, in Leesburg Florida you see when I was doing local work in Central Florida for about five years like I do here I would also often work at the church building during the week I would actually work at the church building three or four days during the week, and, and during that time, I would have to answer the phone. I would have to answer the phone and also answer the door, and when people called or stopped by from the community, let me tell you something, they were not called and stopping by to ask for a Bible study. They were not called and stopping by to ask questions about Jesus. They were not calling and stopping by to ask me the most important question that you could ever ask a preacher, and that is, what do I need to do to get my soul right with God? Instead, they were calling and stopping by because they said that tough times had come upon them in their lives, and they wanted to know if the church could give them some money. They wanted some money. They wanted some money for their light bill. They wanted some money for their rent or for their mortgage payment. They wanted some money for gas or so they could buy a bus ticket to go to Orlando or Tampa. That's the kind of stuff. Those are the kind of calls and visits that I was getting from people in the community all the time. And the reason that kind of stuff was happening to me is because let's just be honest about it, brothers and sisters, when it comes to a lot of people in our culture, when it comes to a lot of people in our society, they strongly believe that that is exactly what a church is supposed to do. I mean, in their minds, a church is supposed to help the poor. A church is supposed to give money to the poor. A church is supposed to, to freely give benevolent aid to as many people as they can. That is exactly the mentality that so many people have in our society today. The question is, is, is that right? Is that biblical? I mean, does the Bible really teach? what the world believes, and that is a church has a responsibility and an obligation to use its funds to help as many people as they can. How would you answer someone who asked you that question? 
How would you respond to someone who suggests that since Jesus helped poor people all throughout his ministry, since Jesus was very benevolent, since Jesus did things like, like give free food to the poor, then that's exactly what a church is supposed to do. That is exactly what a church like us is supposed to be all about. I believe, my friends, that now that we've spent, now that we spent an entire lesson last Sunday talking about the significance of the local church, today in this particular study, it would be beneficial for us to dig a little deeper into that topic and talk about the work of the church. Let's talk about the kind of work that God wants a local church to do. In fact, let's begin by suggesting that when we study our Bibles, we learn that there are at least three, at least three very specific works that God wants a church to do. And the first work, the first work is evangelism. The, the, the first work is spreading the gospel to the lost, teaching the Bible, teaching Jesus to non-Christians, and even using our pooled resources to support gospel preachers. And these passages right here and countless others, we learn throughout the New Testament that God certainly wants a church to be involved in the work of evangelism. But not only does God want a church to be involved in evangelism, a second work he wants a church to be involved in is the work of edification. Edification, now when we say edification, we mean that a church should be involved in building up the saved. A church should be focused on growing in their knowledge of the word of God and worshiping God and doing all the things that God says are necessary for us to remain faithful to him. A church is to be involved in evangelism. And a church is to be involved in edification. But then a third work that God wants a church to be involved in is the work of benevolence. The work of benevolence. Now, let's be clear. When we use the word benevolence, we mean that according to the Bible, a church is to be involved in helping the needy. A church is to be involved in using the funds that are collected to display acts of kindness and grace and to help those who are less fortunate. In fact, it is this particular work that I really want us to focus on for the next few minutes. You see, since this work of the church seems to be the most controversial and divisive in our society, I think we need to dig a little deeper and we need, to, we need to study very carefully what the Bible has to say about this work. In fact, I wanna submit that there are really two aspects of this work that we really need to focus on that's found in the scriptures. And the first aspect has to do, has to do with how this work relates to individuals individual Christians, individual disciples. Will you go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 18? Will you please go in your, in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 18? Park yourself right there. You know, whenever having a discussion with people about the topic of benevolence, one of the things we might need to talk about with them is the distinction 
The distinction the Bible makes between the actions of the individual Christian and the actions of a local church. Brothers and sisters, those two things are not the same. They are not the same at all. You see, as individual Christians, there are certain things that we can do that the local church has no authority to do. The local church has no authority from God or from his word. For example, the individual Christian can go into his or her bank account and pull out some money and use that money to start a business. They can use their money, the money from their own bank account, to open up a grocery store or a clothing store or a car wash, but the church can't do that. The individual Christian can also get married and go on a honeymoon with their spouse and even eventually have children with their spouse, but the church can't do that. An individual Christian like me can also grab my wife at any time I desire and give her a big fat kiss on the lip, but the church can't do that. In fact, the church better not do that. The church better not kiss my wife on the lips. That's my wife. That's not the church's wife. Are you kidding me? The scriptures make a big distinction between the actions of an individual Christian and the actions of a local church. Jesus dealt with this issue in his ministry, Matthew chapter 18. Look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, please. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed if he refuses to listen to them. Tell it to the what? Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Notice how there in those verses, Jesus is clearly making our point right now. In those verses, Jesus is clearly making, making a distinction between the actions of an individual Christian and the actions of a local church, according to what Jesus says there, when it comes to trying to restore a sinful brother or sister back to God, individual Christians are to be involved in that process before the local church. Jesus says that if a sinful brother or sister doesn't listen to the appeal of two or three individual Christians, then the local church is to take action. Then the local church is to get involved. Then the local church is to use their persuasive, their persuasive methods together to try to get that brother or sister to repent and get their lives back right with God. Jesus is clearly, he is clearly making a distinction there between the actions of individual Christians and the actions of a local church. Not only does he do that in Matthew 18, but the Apostle Paul does it in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Will you go in your Bible, please? 1 Timothy chapter 5, and listen to what Paul says as he talks about needy widows in the church here in this chapter. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse number 16, Paul says this. He says, if any woman who is a believer 
has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. Notice, the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Notice how like our Lord Jesus Christ, there in that verse, Paul makes a clear distinction between the actions of an individual Christian and the actions of a local church. There Paul says that if there is a needy widow in the church, and that needy widow has a family who has the financial resources to take care of her, then guess what? That's exactly what that family needs to do. That is exactly what that family should do. That is exactly what God wants that family to do. God wants that family to take care of their needy family member so that the church will not be burdened and so that it can have his resources freed up to help widows who are truly destitute in their lives. Like Jesus, Paul is making a clear distinction between the actions of individual Christians and the actions of a local church. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this to you is because I firmly believe that understanding what the Bible has to say about this is absolutely critical to really being able to properly understand what the scripture says about benevolence. You see, when it comes to this issue of benevolence, we need to understand that in the Bible, in the scriptures, sometimes we find benevolence being done by individual Christians, and sometimes we find it being done by a local church. In fact, when we study our New Testament very carefully, what we learn is that God actually expects benevolence to be something that individual Christians handle first. Individual Christians ought to be doing this work before the local church. That is exactly what Paul is teaching right there in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. And that is also exactly what we learn in countless other passages. For example, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. In Galatians 6 and verse 10, in the context of this whole chapter, Paul is speaking about individual responsibility, restoring one another, bearing each other's burdens. Here in Galatians 6 and verse 10, he says, so then while we as individual Christians have opportunity, let us as individual Christians do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Notice how Paul says that as individual Christians, we have a responsibility to do good, to be benevolent towards all people. All people, there's a reference to both non-Christians, people who are not followers of Jesus, and especially those who are followers of Jesus. Paul says as individuals, we have a responsibility to do good to all people, to be benevolent towards all people. In Ephesians 4 and verse 28, here in this context, Paul again is talking about individual responsibility. He is saying that part of being a new creature in Christ involves doing this right here. Ephesians 4, 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he as an individual Christian must labor performing with his individual Christian, his own hands, what is good so that he individual Christian will have something to share with one who has need. Paul's talking about benevolence for the individual Christian there. You go then to 1 John 3 and verse 17, and John says, but whoever has the world's goods and you see your brother in need and closes his heart 
individual Christian. You close his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him as an individual Christian? James says in James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, uh, our Father, our God and Father is this, to visit, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, individual Christian, unstained from the world. There's so many other verses we could put on this slide by right now, but I think you get the point, don't you? You see what the Bible is saying. You see the how according to what the Bible has to say, God expects individual Christians to be using their blessings to help other people. He expects individual Christians to be benevolent. He expects individual Christians to be giving. He expects individual Christians to not rely on the church to do the work of benevolent first. Instead, he wants us to do that work first as individuals. He wants individuals to display acts of kindness to orphans and widows. He wants us as individuals to do good to all men. He wants us as individuals to perform with our hands what is good so that we can have something to share with someone who's in need. The Bible's clear on this. The Bible says that when it comes to benevolence, the individual Christian has this responsibility first and foremost. But let's now transition. Let's now transition and dig a little deeper when it comes to benevolence and the local church's responsibility. While it is true that God expects individual Christians to be heavily involved in the work of benevolence in their daily lives, it is also true that the local church has authority from God to get involved in this work, but the local church's, the local church's involvement in this work is very limited. It is very, very limited. You see, unlike me and you as individual Christians, we can use our money, the money we work for, to help anybody. We can use our money to help Christians in this place and in other places. We can use our money to help the person who's not a Christian, who's at the stoplight holding up a sign begging for money. We can use our money to help anybody we want as individual Christians, but when it comes to the local church, the local church's funds are to be limited to Christians. They are to be limited to disciples. They are to be limited to those who are part of the family of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a big topic that is found all throughout the New Testament. And so let me show you what I'm talking about. And I got a lot of verses I'm going to read with you right now. And if you have a hard time keeping up with me, just make sure you get a copy of the outline on the website. Because we're about to move pretty fast here. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, and in verse number 32. This is the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem in Acts 4 and verse 32. And it's important that we pay close attention to every word the Holy Spirit has to say here. In verse 32, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Remember that. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. 
And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. The them there is a reference to the Christians who made up that group. There was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each. The each there is a reference to Christians, to each as any had need. Go down to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, we learn more about needs that came up in the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 11, our scripture reading that Brother Trevor read for us, verse 27, Verse 27, now that time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there will be a great famine. Remember that, a famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of of the brethren, not the world. Relief for the brethren living in Judea. There were needy saints here in Jerusalem because of a famine. Now, this is going to be something Paul deals with all throughout his writings. Go with me to the book of Romans. I'm going to ask you to go to Romans, Romans chapter 15. Look at Romans, the 15th chapter, and let's start reading with verse number 25. Paul talks about this, this relief that would go to saints in Jerusalem. And he says in Romans 15 and verse 25 to the church at Rome, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints, the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints, not the world, the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. This contribution to the saints in Jerusalem was something that was, that was a big part of the first century church. In 1 Corinthians 16 and in verse number 1, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the, for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that there be no collections made when I come. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because, again, Paul continues to talk with his church about making sure they have a contribution ready to help these needy saints in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Like that ministry for the saints, there's a reference to this contribution that is going to the saints in Jerusalem. In verse number 12, in verse number 12, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. The New Testament cannot be any clearer. It just can't be any clearer. God is emphasizing this over and over and over and over again. Over and over again, we learn from God that unlike what most people in the world believe, the church is not intended to be a soup kitchen for the entire community. It is not intended to be like our government that hands out free money to everybody. It is not intended to feed the world or even use church funds as some sort of, as some sort of tool to try to persuade people in the world to have a Bible study with us. No, sir, no, ma'am. According to the scriptures, 
local church benevolence is limited to Christians. It is limited to disciples. It is limited to even faithful disciples, disciples who are seeking to be unified and an active part of the body, as we read in Acts 4.32. Disciples who are doing their best to truly love the Lord, and they're trying to serve the Lord and worship the Lord with all their hearts, Widows who Paul says in first Timothy chapter five have fixed their hope on heaven and continue in entreaties and prayers night and day. The Bible is clear that local church benevolence. Is to be limited to Christians, but let me also say that the Christians who get this benevolence. They need to be truly in need. Go back to Acts chapter 4 again. Remember the language of Acts 4? We read Acts 4, verses 34 and 35. Look back at that language again. Notice how the Christians there who received benevolence from the church treasury, they were Christians who were in need. The Bible says that they were needy. There were needy people among them. Someone says, why were there needy people in this church? Well, the reason why there were needy people in this church was because of circumstances. Bad circumstances, bad circumstances like persecution. Bad circumstances like a famine, a great famine that affected the whole region of Judea. Great circumstances like Christians losing their jobs because they refused to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ as they were being oppressed by the government. Remember, we read about that and we studied that in Revelation, right? The Christians who were getting benevolence from the church treasury were Christians who had real legitimate needs. They were not Christians who were getting aid because they were bad managers of their money. They were not Christians who were getting aid because they bought a house that they knew ahead of time that they could not really afford. And they wanted to use the Lord's money to help them keep up with their mortgage payments. They were not Christians who bought a Cadillac or a Tesla, or a Mercedes that they really couldn't afford, and so they want the church to bail them out because they have foolishly got in over their heads. No, sir, and no, ma'am. That is foreign to the New Testament. These Christians here were not using the church treasury as a bank or some kind of loan office or as a safety net to help bail them out of foolish decisions they made in their lives. Instead, the people who got this money were people who had true needs. They had real, legitimate needs. They were destitute. They had tough circumstances that had come upon them in their lives that were beyond their control. That's what's going on in the New Testament. But let me just add this third point. The local church is to help Christians who are truly in need. And when it comes to how this need gets out, local church leaders are the ones who are to distribute that relief. They're the ones who are to be distributing the benevolence that goes out to needy saints. I think we see this in a couple of different places in the New Testament. One is found in Acts chapter 6. You remember Acts chapter 6? 
You, you remember in Acts chapter 6 when the church began to get overwhelmed with the needy widows in Jerusalem, the saints who, who made up that church, they appointed seven men. I believe that these were the first deacons in the church. These seven men were over, and I want to emphasize that word over. The Bible says they were over the work of seeing to the needs of these widows so that the apostles could focus on preaching the gospel. Acts 6 is a great example of this, but go to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11 is a really good example, too, because remember this contribution that was going from Antioch to Jerusalem to help needy saints in Jerusalem. When in Acts 11, verse number 30, the Bible says to the church in Antioch, they sent this relief. They did this, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Notice how the relief that was sent from Antioch by the hands of Barnabas and Saul wasn't sent to some relief organization like the American Red Cross or the Lions Club International. Instead, it was sent. It was sent to the elders. It was sent to the shepherds. The shepherds and the church in Jerusalem would oversee the distribution of these funds, not some relief organization, not even the churches who has sent the relief. What I just want you to see is why most people believe that a local church is to be involved in feeding and taking care of the entire world. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible actually teaches otherwise. The Bible says that local church benevolence is to be limited to, to needy, faithful Christians. Needy, faithful saints. Needy, faithful disciples. If disciples of Jesus Christ find themselves in circumstances that make them destitute, God has a plan to take care of them. God has a plan to help them in their lives. In fact, how many times have we seen God's plan be executed today, even in the church today. You know, I can remember when bad floods hit southeast Texas where I trained to preach a few, just a few years ago. Do y'all remember when those bad floods hit southeast Texas? And local churches from around the country were sending funds to help those Christians there, many of them I knew personally, who had lost literally everything. They lost their homes, they lost their cars, they lost all their clothes, they literally lost everything. But God's people around the country banded together and they sent them funds to, to help those folks. I'm also reminded of the time I went to Africa several years ago and how when we went out there, one of the things we took with us, in addition to our Bibles and our sermons, was we took money with us, a lot of money. We took relief, benevolence for Christians who were truly needy and they were destitute. They lived in Africa, in Zimbabwe and Botswana, but they were part of the same spiritual family as us. And they hadn't had rain in several months and their government was oppressing them and trying to starve them out. And if Christians over here in America didn't step up and send them some money, they were going to die. Their children were going to die. Their parents were going to die. 
I remember being part of that. I also remember how here in this place, at this great and wonderful church, a time just a few months ago, I, re I recall, when funds were used from both individuals and the church treasury to also help needy brethren in Africa. To help give them resources so they could buy food and feed their children and their grandchildren. God's plan continues to be executed, even today. And isn't it, isn't it just wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it a powerful display of the love of God for his people and the wisdom of God? It's very, very powerful. But here's the final question we need to think about this morning, and that is how shall all of this impact us? How shall all of this impact you? How shall all of this information about benevolence impact your, your faith and your thinking? Well, I want to suggest that, that there are at least two things, two things I hope this lesson will do for you. First, I hope this lesson will impact your giving. I hope it will impact your giving. And when I say impact your giving, please don't misunderstand. I'm not just talking about the amount of money you give, although I do think the Bible is very clear that God expects Christians to be sacrificial and generous when they give on the first day of the week. But even beyond that, even beyond the exact amount of money that you put in the plate every single Sunday, I hope this lesson will impact your thinking. I hope it will impact your mentality. I hope it will help you understand that each time we are blessed to pull our resources together on the first day of the week, we are using our resources to help accomplish the great work of God. We are using our resources to do the same kind of work that we can read about Christians in the Bible doing, and that's the work of evangelism and the work of building up the saved and the work of even giving benevolence to those who are truly in need. I hope that a lesson like this will impact how you view your giving and what you part of if you're part of this church as you give on the first day of the week. And then a second thing I hope this lesson will also do is I hope it will also impact how we view the local church and the responsibility of the local church to the world. I hope that this lesson will help us understand that the local church is not designed by God to take care of the world's physical needs. It is not designed by God to build hospitals and food banks and shelters and kitchens and counseling centers and anything else that may fall into those categories. While individuals getting involved in those kinds of works is good and it's noble and it's wonderful and it's even needed, God wants local churches to be involved in something even more important than those things. God wants local churches to understand that they even have a greater work and a greater responsibility. Believe it or not, brothers and sisters, but there is something greater than food and clothes and shelter and gas money that people need in this life. There is something greater than getting their light bill paid or getting their rent paid or getting their cell phone bill paid. You see, beyond that physical stuff that so many people seem to want to focus on above anything else in this life, the main thing God says the people in our community need is they need Jesus. 
they need the gospel of Jesus. They need this information that God has given so they can have a chance to obey it and get their sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and have a chance to go to heaven once they exit out of this life. The work of evangelism is the greatest work in the world. And that is why Paul commends the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 when he says that they were doing a good work when they echoed the word of God throughout their region. He commended them for sounding forth the word of God throughout their region. He commended the Philippians in Philippians 4 and verse 15 for using their money to support gospel preachers. And then notice what Jesus says in this last verse this morning in John chapter 6. Remember after Jesus had miraculously multiplied bread to feed thousands of men, women, and children. Well, in John chapter 6 and verse 27, when Jesus realized that these people were seeking him out for the wrong reason after he gave them physical bread, he said in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Notice how Jesus says that when it comes to physical food, and spiritual food, the spiritual food, is what is most important. The spiritual food is what people need more than anything else. While as individuals, we need to be looking for opportunities to help as many people as we can with our money as a church. God wants us to be in the business of giving the people in our community the spiritual food. He wants us to be in the business of giving people and our community the word of God, the bread of life, spreading the word of God in this community. That's our responsibility as a church. That's our work. That's our mission. That is the best kind of service that we could ever render to the people in this community who are not Christians. And so that wraps up the fourth lesson in this special series of lessons that we've immersed ourselves in that are designed to equip us to provide good Bible answers to the questions people ask us in our lives. Next week, we're going to take a breath, going to catch our breath, and we're going to have another rising above lesson. We're going to try to continue to focus on, on the things the elders have asked us to focus on in regards to that subject. But for now, I just want to close by by asking you, do you trust in God's plan? Do you trust in God's plan for his church? Do you trust in God's plan for benevolence? Do you trust in God's plan of salvation? I submit that the number one way you display trust in God's plan of salvation is by obeying it, submitting to it fully in your life. And so if you've not yet done that, we're going to get ready to sing a song in just a few seconds, and we're going to give you a chance to do that. Whether it means you need to respond to the gospel for the first time by believing in Jesus Christ and confessing that and repenting of your sins and being baptized, or if you're a Christian, if you need to come back to God and repent and have us pray with you and pray for you, whatever spiritual needs you may have this morning, let us help you with that right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.